When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin, the auto editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. My name is Ben Bolin. I do a lot of things here, but one of my favorite things to do at our job is to hang out with you, Scott. Yeah, and talk cars, right? And talk cars. Talk cars. Well, thanks, Ben. That was nice. Hey, and also sincere, but uh, <laughs> let me be honest with you. There's The reason that I'm here is to talk about cars. I understand. I well, understand. I know it's the, uh, <laughs> the highlight of your day, right? Hey, wait, real quick aside. Um, have you ever read the transcripts that we have on the website? That's, oh, what do you mean? Like what? Uh, what part? What, what are you talking about? All of our podcasts, yeah, have transcripts so that uh, people who are deaf or hard of hearing or uh, or want to figure out how to spell what we're talking about uh, can check it out and read the transcripts. It's weird. It looks like we're sending text messages to oh, each other. No. Yeah, there's a picture of your face, and then you know, like the line where you say something is a picture oh, of my no. face, and yeah, I, I read the pressure. Even more pressure because. <laughs> Um, I, you know what's funny? I, I used to uh, I used to work in video, uh-huh. and I would transcribe tapes, right? And uh, you do interviews, and you would come back and transcribe it to put it into uh, prompter, you know, for so you could read closed captioning. Sure. It, invariably, it made no sense what the person was saying once you put it down on paper. But if you were listening to the person, it would make sense. Like it, it sounded, you know, clear, and it sounded that you know it was it was flowing. Everything worked well together. But when you typed it out and you read what the person was really saying, it just it was just a big mix of of nothing. It was uh, it was like uh, um, somebody you know speaking around a talking point. It was stream of consciousness, it, sort of improvisation. Really yeah, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. So I'm uh, I'm apprehensive to look at that. Let me reassure you. I checked, and we don't sound. That ba- we don't read that bad at all. We are we are very much legible. Uh, if anything, I think I may be the weaker member uh, of the I don't duo. Think so? Do they also do they also take out all the times when I go? Uh, mm, they took that. out a lot of our uhs and our ums. Oh, good. Okay. 
But, uh, yeah, helps. so, so as a PSA, not to give you any pressure, Scott, but as a PSA to our listeners, if you haven't heard already, uh, you can check out transcripts of all our podcasts if you want to read rather than hear what we're saying. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man, that would be awful. I don't know. I, I, oh, sorry. It's I didn't really mean to not uh, that undercut bad. what you're saying there, but, uh, man, I, I wouldn't do it myself. It's really not, it's really not that bad. I was actually very pleasantly surprised. Okay, good. Surprised. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to the important topic of the day. Yes. Let's that. go to the real thing. I want to talk about, today I want to talk about, uh, Bruce McLaren and McLaren cars. And I just, I think this is an interesting cat that we need to discuss because, um, he follows along the lines of so many other people that we've talked about. We talked about Jim Hall and his Chaparral cars. We talked mm-hmm. about, um, Colin Chapman and, of course, the Lotus vehicles yep. and, you know, the other, um, I guess, really, really influential, important people along the way of the development of certain automobiles. And even in this case, we're talking about a, a line of, of racing mm-hmm. cars. Yeah. Pioneers. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Pioneers. And I think that, uh, I think this guy is someone that has, um, I guess, I guess the, the legs to make this an interesting story. Absolutely. Definitely an interesting story and one that continues through today. Yes. And it starts, if you would like to be technical about it, it starts in 1937 in Auckland, New Zealand, mm-hmm. when Bruce is born a Kiwi. That's right. Yeah, we mentioned that earlier, <laughs> right? Did, yeah. it's, a, it's a funny thing to say, but yeah, I guess that would make him a Kiwi, right? I, I think so. I a think New Zealander, uh-huh. a Kiwi. They say that. It's just a slang term, I think. I, I don't know mm-hmm. if it's a real way to refer to that person or not. Are, no. you, a, are you a Georgia peach, Ben? Gosh, no. I'm whatever there is in Tennessee. I don't know. I'm a Hoosier. Ah, uh, yes. I don't really know what that is. I was, I was gonna, I was hoping you would explain it to no, me. Oh, no, I don't know. Well, so, okay, so we've got. I'm also a hoser. That's from Canada. That's, is that what the Canadians? I guess so. Call your folk? No, no, no. <laughs> so Bruce, uh, Bruce is born, as we said, 1937, but something some folks may not know about Bruce is that he did not begin as a car company owner. He began as a race car driver. That's right, and a very successful race car driver. Oh, who um, are you telling, right? Along, along the way, yeah, he um, – boy, I think – I mean, I, I read something about this in his biography, and there's a pretty good biography posted – Online, you can read actually several several of them, but um, in uh, the August 1970 edition of Road and Track, uh, they've reprinted some of that information, um, biography information about Bruce, mm-hmm. and um, it goes all the way back to when he was about 16 years old and he competed in his first hill climb race. Um, he was in an Austin Seven. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Colin Chapman. Yeah. Remember that? His Austin yeah. Seven was really the first Lotus. Remember? Mm-hmm. And uh, so he competed just like. Uh, just like Colin did at uh, early age in an Austin 7. So that was apparently the car to modify at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, I guess, he was always this really competitive, really driven individual. And his parents said that, you know, um, they could always see that kind of spirit in him, that he was always one to uh, want to achieve more. That ambition. Yeah, he always had that ambition. And mm-hmm. uh, that proved to be, uh, well, just kind of a big a big part of his entire life, really. Absolutely. Just to just to tell you guys, uh, by way of experience, how skilled Bruce McLaren was, and I guess remains as a racer. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1959 U.S. Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wins it at the ripe old age of 22. Yeah, no kidding. And you know what? I've got a uh, figure on that. I think he was he was actually the 
the youngest driver to win an F1 race at the time. Yes. Now, I think that's been eclipsed at this point, but only by a matter of days. Mm-hmm. Um, he was 22 years old, winning a Formula One race, uh, which is just remarkable. I mean, he was, he was a young guy, mm-hmm. very talented. Um, and that continued on because in, uh, he won the U.S. Grand Prix that year. Yep. Um, he had in his, in his driving career, I mean, this is among others. We'll mention others too, but, mm-hmm. uh, just in F1, he had four Grand Prix victories, which is pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Um, 1960, he won in Argentina. 1962, Monte Carlo. And then in 68, he won in, uh, the, the Belgian Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that wasn't the only series that they competed, that he competed in. He, no, he yeah. went beyond Formula One cars. He also, uh, raced in, as we'll talk about later, uh, the Can-Am series, uh, mm-hmm. very successful in that series, and the Indy 500 in the, uh, IndyCar series. So, yeah. which wasn't the IndyCar series at the time, it was just, um, the Indy 500 race. And he won Le Mans in 1966. Yes, yes, that's a huge one because you know what he was driving in in 66. Uh, I, he was with Ford, right? Yeah, that's right. So that meant he was uh, behind the wheel of a Ford GT40, which is uh, I think that's really cool. Um, that was with the uh, with the Shelby American team, mm-hmm. um, and it was a seven liter GT40 V8, of course. Um, but he also won uh, the 12 Hours of Sebring with Mario Andretti in 1967. So uh, this guy's got, you know, he's, he gets around. He gets he, around, this guy. He's doing what Charlie Sheen would call winning. Yeah, that's I'm true. sorry, that's so oh, dated. Oh, man, yeah, it is. I can't believe oh, Anyways, <laughs> so anyways, he, he's, he's a winner in the F1 series. He, yeah. You know, he, in a car that later we'll find out he designed and built, mm-hmm. um, you know, had other successes as well. But uh, the Can-Am, he was successful in the Can-Am series. He won the IndyCar uh, race outright uh, in Indy's. 500 rather. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also compete, he also competed in the European and American Formula, Formula series. Um, that includes Formula 2 and Formula 1 series. Mm-hmm. Um, so this guy, he, like I said, very, very successful racing career, um, which led him to want to, as, as Colin Chapman did, um, kind of develop his own thing. Right. To, uh, to branch out. So he, uh, in, where are we at here? 65, when he decides well, to build his own yeah, car? Yeah, I guess we're, we're jumping around a bit because yeah. we've talked about all these victories and everything. But if yeah. you want to go right to 65, because um, that sets us up for uh, McLaren Racing Limited. Yes. So if you want to do that, that's great. Okay, so he, 1965, he decides that he's going to create his own Formula One car mm-hmm. uh, for the first season of the new the new formula at the time, which is the three liter. Mm-hmm. And so he's he started, he's built a test chassis in 65, uh, and then he gets his first debut, the first McLaren F1. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's the M2B. And, uh, not gonna lie to you, Scott, not, not perfect. Mm-hmm. It's not a perfect vehicle. It's still testing. Um, one of the huge, one of the problems I got brought up repeatedly when we look into this is, uh, engine problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but he did an okay thing. He had a respectable start. You know, he placed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, but he didn't win, um, at the Monaco, uh, Grand Prix and he had the car's designer, a guy named Robin Hurd, um, who is former aerospace professional. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, he started, uh, he started working with Robin Hurd, uh, to use some innovative material science mm-hmm. that sort of set a pattern. Uh, that McLaren would 
continue and continues to follow today. Ah, yes, very much so today yeah. because materials are uh, kind of where it's at in racing right now because it's everything's about lightweight, mm-hmm. um, about strength, about uh, crumple zones, and the way things uh, absorb energy and um, the way they react at speed. And you know, just there's so much that we still need to learn about this stuff. But um, you can't ever say that you've you've reach the max in that type of in that field no, um, because you'll see something well something like this i mean this this just takes mm-hmm. a leaps and bounds beyond where it was and uh, it makes sense to have somebody from the aerospace industry at the time uh begin to con- experiment with these lighter weight cars and mm-hmm. then they realized that you know that's fine if you have uh, these real high horsepower cars which, which is what they did yeah. they just threw a lot of horsepower at it and it weighed a ton but um you know it was still had the brute force enough to to uh to make it uh, you know a drivable, I guess, winnable vehicle. Yeah, um, if that makes sense. It doesn't really mean that. Did winnable. you did you see the uh, material they were using? No, I didn't. Did okay, uh, so this uh, Robin Hurd, right? The material that he starts that he had been working with uh, is this thing called malite, and this is basically wood, balsa wood, between two sheets of aluminum in a, in a honeycomb design. And he used that to build the M2B. So, so it's freaking me out when I read this kind of stuff. You know, a balsa wood car. Yeah. Well, I, you remember what we said about 1960s racing, right? Um, how it was just outlandishly da- dangerous at the time. Remember the whole Jackie yes. Stewart thing with incredibly uh, you know, unorthodox. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Jackie Stewart, you know, campaigning for safety and, you know, mm-hmm. how many people have to die, et cetera. This is, uh, this is, you know, one of those things. It's uh, you're talking about extremely lightweight material that you know it's not really meant to hold up in a crash. It's not going to absorb energy like you know the carbon no. fiber does today. It's not designed the way it was today, mm-hmm. uh, the way it is today. Um, but you know, it, and eventually, you know, that has a uh, tragic outcome in the story. But um, really, I mean, what what Bruce was all about in in, the, in these early days. You know, once he started building his own vehicles, and once they started realizing that you know. Um, he had, you know, the skills to to take what he learned in driving and to to use that in, you know, with his engineering background, his design background, that he yes. was able to uh, develop vehicles that were finely tuned, and that was where the McLaren cars really shine because, um, you know, he took what was already good and made it better by what he could feel in the driver's seat and what he knew as an engineer would work and, and mm-hmm. just the way he thought about things. Um, you know, he really gave it careful consideration. He knew, he knew exactly what needed to happen or how, you know, how he wanted the car to feel and what to do to get to that point. And, uh, that made him valuable as a driver and that made him valuable as a team owner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, later on that, you know, would be able to say, like, here's what I want my car. I want my cars tuned this way. And it became more of a chassis game than it was a, um, than it was just brute force with the engine. And uh, then you could you could lighten the vehicle in other areas based on the way you tune the vehicle, and uh, you know we saw that with Jim Hall with right. the downforce idea in mm-hmm. the uh, Chaparral cars, and you saw that um, you know with uh, Lotus and Colin Chapman, he knew that lightweight was the key to speed as well. At a certain point, you know once you've reached the the engine's maximum capacity, um, you know the maximum size, the maximum output that you could, you know you're squeezing out a little bit more horsepower here and there, but um, you know the real gains were to be seen in Distribution. You know, yeah, and lightening yeah. the vehicles. Yeah, and, and distribution of weight. And I think it's so, I think it's so good to bring up, uh, Chaparral, to bring up Lotus, because we see this very obvious pattern 
that the people who are making some of the breakneck innovations in racing mm-hmm. are the those rare individuals who are able to see both sides of the car, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because it, it it's very easy to assume that an engineer would say, well, here's how we solve a problem, but I'm not sure exactly what the problems are, mm-hmm. whereas a driver would say, I need this to do this differently, mm-hmm. but I don't know the language or how to get there. I don't know how to tell you exactly how to do that. And right. he could, could fine-tune it and feel it in a way differently than uh, than most others could. Mm-hmm. Some still can, but not many. It's sort of like, in my in my mind, it's being in that very rare position. It's sort of like being an expert violin player who learns to make violins. Yes. Yes, that's a, that's a good way to say it because, um, you know, this is a, it's a, it's a rare position, I guess, um, because rare is the right word to use because, um, you know, either you have the driving skill or you have the, uh, the other skill of, you know, being able to run the team and be a, uh, a competent boss, uh, mm-hmm. for everything that's going on. And he was both. Yeah. And, uh, you know, eventually that led to him, um, you know, he tested vehicles and he, he drove vehicles as well, but, um, he kind of get more on the side of, of ownership, mm-hmm. uh, versus driving. And he had other drivers, you know, that were, um, you know, working, working for him, working with him. Um, but, you know, let's, let's talk about, now we've talked about mostly Formula One at this point. Right. Um, now let me think about this for one second because there were some Indianapolis wins. Um, and I'm going to have to shuffle my notes for a moment. Sorry. Oh, uh, in the seventies? Are you talking about? Well, you know what? I want to go earlier than that because okay. I want to I talk about the. Um, I want to talk about the nineteen sixties because in the end of nineteen sixties, mm-hmm. um, he was still in Formula One, and um, it was also during this period that they kind of moved over to um, this uh, the sort of new series, which is the Canadian American Challenge Cup series, which mm. was um, the Can Am series. The old Can Am Cup. I love the Can Am Cup. I know it's one you of know, your favorite it ones. It is. It really is because it was just so wild. You know, it was unlimited speed, unlimited. Mm. I'm sorry, unlimited horsepower, which led to unlimited speed in some cases. Um, but it, it was just a cool era, right? Right. And they uh, they actually jumped into this, and this was what they call the pinnacle of his career because they were so successful in the Can Am series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, McLaren, McLaren Racing. Uh, I'm not going to read from an article here, but yeah. um, they were in the Group Seven sports cars. And McLaren Racing Limited uh, won support effort from Chevrolet, Goodyear, Reynolds, and Gulf and produced a McLaren car that won five of six races in the 1967 series mm-hmm. and four of the six in 1968. And then in 1969, Ben, they won all 11 races of that series. So they were dominant. They completely yeah. dominated that series through 1969. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just incredible. I mean, they were uh, – this this is where it comes to kind of a uh, a, a sad ending, yeah. And uh, and I hate, hate to you know get to this point, but it, but it's inevitable. Um, he died. Bruce McLaren died during testing. He was testing a uh, um, a vehicle called the M8D race car, uh, which was uh, was well, the M8D version of the. Uh, the Can-Am car. Yeah. Uh, that they had, you know, they, they all had versions, you know, that we'll talk mm-hmm. about that too, I guess. Well, maybe not. There's a whole list of them here. The M6A, the M6B, et cetera, all the way down. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, they got this alphanumeric coding. All the way, like, M16. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was, uh, he was testing on June 2nd, 1970. Mm-hmm. And, um, he was at the Goodwood Circuit in England. And, uh, some, some of the rear body work 
let loose of the vehicle. And, of course, that means a loss of downforce at the rear of the car. The car, you know, spun out and hit a track official and a, and a flag station. And, um, you know, that, that unfortunately was a, a fatal accident for uh, Mr. Bruce McLaren. So that's the end of uh, Mr. McLaren himself, but not the end of the team. Far from it. And uh, not the na- end of the, the name, of course, because you'll still hear it in racing circles. Okay, so we already have a company that has set the course of history in racing. They've made their mark. Uh, unfortunately, uh, for a couple of years after this, late eight, late seventies, you know, seventy eight going into eighty, sure. the team is not performing as well, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's understandable because it's just so incredible. To have this kind of run. Oh, sure. That's know? a long, long run mm-hmm. of, of success. I mean, that's uh, you can't stay on that pinnacle for too long. Right, right. And so uh, right as this performance, this uh, unnaturally awesome performance is flagging a little bit, a new character enters the story, uh, Mr. Ron Dennis. Okay. Now, Ron Dennis uh, worked in Formula One, had a history with it. He used to work with... Uh, he joined uh, Cooper Cars after McLaren departed mm-hmm. and started his own F2 team in 71. So this guy has some uh, extensive experience. Sure, and close ties to Bruce, really. Right, yes. Okay. Yeah, and they move in the same circles. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in 1980, McLaren uh, merges with Project 4 Racing Team, which is Ron Dennis's outfit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he brings back... Uh, some not new blood, I guess, but he brings back a designer named John Barnard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, John Barnard was, uh, a designer on the Chaparral 2K. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, you know, that's the one that won Indianapolis. Uh, he had also been working with McLaren earlier in the seventies. Um, and during that time, he worked on their M23 car. M23, excuse yeah. yeah, I know, I know. Uh, well, these uh, alphanumeric cars are tough to figure out sometimes how they uh, how they read them exactly. I was kind of making a bad joke, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay. But so here we go again. We talked about material science. Yeah. Okay. So Barnard also is emphasizing material science, and he starts working with carbon fiber composite. Now, mm-hmm. people who have listened to our show before know that we're big fans of carbon fiber, of course. And this kind of, this kind of design work in the eighties is prescient. Mm -hmm. And there's not really a way around it. Uh, carbon fiber, if it was a bit cheaper, would probably be in the, in the car of every person listening to this show now. Oh, sure. Yeah, it probably would be. I mean, that's the whole game right now is they're trying Mm -hmm. to, and, and, you know, I think they're even moving beyond carbon fiber to even stronger materials at this point, but, um, trying to find a, a cheap way to, uh, mass produce carbon fiber and, Mm -hmm. uh, and deform it, you know, so that it's not such a, uh, an arduous task, um, in the, in the, uh, assembly process because it just makes the vehicles too expensive. But, um, yeah, if they could, uh, if they could get that into modern vehicles, it would be there right now. In fact, it is in some areas. You see it on performance vehicles in, in accents and, and small areas. Maybe not the entire car, of course, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, those are the, the supercar, the million dollar supercars. But, right. um, yeah, if there was a way to get it into production vehicles, you know that manufacturers would do it if it was cost effective. So 
they manage to build one. McLaren does with some help by Hercules Aerospace. So again, we see ah, at good. the forefront of material science, right? The aerospace guys. Hercules. <laughs> sorry. Did you really? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I don't know. It just came out of, sorry. Sorry, everybody. Sorry. No, no, I, I, I guess I have to say it like three. Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. Okay. You got we're done. me. We're done with that. Okay. Okay. We're- you got me on that one. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's go to the MP4 series. Okay. Uh, so they've got uh, one victory in 1981 mm-hmm. on this vehicle. 1982, they have four victories. Not uh, bad. 1983, they have another um, another victory. Wait, going back a year? Wait, 1980 – no, they have four in 1982. Okay. And then in 1983, they had one more. Okay, got it. Okay. It sounds like a math problem, yeah, right? A like a bit. word problem. Uh, so he left heading 48 miles an hour. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I doubt they drove 48 miles an hour ever. Yeah, no, probably not. <laughs> All right. So on the way, after we see after we see these wins in the 80s, we see more wins uh, continuing through the 90s. You know, we see the uh, drivers' championships. Mm-hmm. We see the constructors' championships. Uh, we see a very interesting relationship with Honda. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's right. You know, you know because I'm, you know, when you talk about uh, McLaren, you talk about racing, you talk mm-hmm. about all these people that are involved. You know, involved with Bruce McLaren and and these partnerships. We said Goodyear was with them. Yeah, and uh, you know. It, all these sponsorships and, and the big names in racing, I'm talking about people now, uh, drivers that were associated with McLaren racing. Of course, there's, there's Bruce McLaren, uh, there's Johnny Rutherford, who's a big name, mm-hmm. Mark Donahue, another mm-hmm. huge name, yeah. em- Emerson Fittipaldi, which is a, these are all big names, Elaine Prost, um, it's a who's who of racing, Ayrton Senna, which is, uh, you know, always a favorite, mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. Mika Hakkinen later on, and, uh, Lewis Hamilton drives, you know, McLaren, McLaren Mercedes, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it, the names and the, and the, uh, the circles that, you know, the, these drivers kind of work in, and, and, and the way they combine, and the way that, you know, drivers move from team to team, and it just, it, you know, Dan Gurney was one of the drivers for a while. It's just, it's, yeah. it's really, it's impressive to, to read the history of McLaren cars. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just so many big names, so many, so many things happening for them, so many successes that, uh, it's a good story. It's, it's a good read if you want to find out about, uh, Bruce McLaren. You know, look up some of this autobiography information and, and get the full detail on it because, you know, we're, we're kind of glossing over the years, you know, that, you know, what happened where he won scholarships for driving and that's yes. how he, you know, eventually made it in the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's just stuff that you have to kind of skip over if we want to give you the, 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 uh, the Cliff Notes version of this. There's so many fascinating bits of trivia though, Scott. Oh. Okay. Because we we skipped over Ayrton Senna without mentioning that he's the fastest driver in the world, or was was yeah was the fastest the driver That's in the right world. up until what ninety four or something like that. Um, yeah, the, the uh, you're right. I mean, this could be uh, you know an entire trivial pursuit category. <laughs> we can't go down own. the rabbit hole. Honestly, you yeah. know, let me let me mention one thing though. Yes, I have to because yeah. um, this is one of my all time favorite kit cars. I think um, the McLaren cars, the mm-hmm. um, the ones that look like the kit cars that resemble the McLaren road cars, because there were a couple of road cars. There was the M6 GT, and uh, I believe there was the M12 GT as well mm-hmm. uh, for road cars. But that's about it for road cars. The rest were race cars of some sort. Um, but if you remember, in a TV series called Hardcastle McCormick, Hardcastle McCormick, yeah. The coyote. I, I'm going to show you a picture right now, and you'll remember the one on top. I do. There. 
You remember yes. that car? Yes. The, uh, no, the, the criminal that lived with the judge. You remember the, that? That's thing? so ridiculous. I barely remember the show, but yeah. I remember the car. The Coyote. Yeah, that was a, that was a really cool car at the time. You know, of course, it was a kit car, mm-hmm. and uh, it was called the. It was a Marauder kit car. Um, now, I also like the. Uh, I, I think I prefer the Manta uh, Mirage car, which mm-hmm. is the one on the bottom there, Ben. If you want to take a quick look at that, but wow, um, yeah, that is a slick looking rogue car. Oh, that'd be a good look for you. And that is a. Uh, that's a. That's. Basically, what the McLaren road cars look like. Uh, so that was the cars that he was designing for road use, not racing, but road use. Um, and they do have a bit of a Can Am look to them, which is you know, mm. also, I don't know, that's probably why it's one of my favorites. They kind of <laughs> ties together, right? Um, and you know, we can't we can't let this you know leave this alone without saying that um, um, you know modern McLaren cars are still around. You can still buy a McLaren. In fact, the, the newest McLaren model mm. is the MP4-12C. The supercar. Yeah, that's right. And the price on this thing is about $900,000, Ben, with no options. That's just the base model. Right, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I kind of dug into this a little bit, mm. and it says that up to date, uh, it's still not available right now, but mm-hmm. um, 40 orders have been taken. Uh, you have to leave a $50,000 non-refundable deposit. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people are saying, well, I'd, I'd like to know exactly what I get for my, you know, $900,000 because that's not entirely known yet. Oh, I've got some rough stats. Oh, do you? Cause, uh, um, just a couple. Okay. Cause there, there's 60 other people ready to take that $50,000 leap. Once they know, <laughs> but they don't know the, they don't know the list of options and features yet. They don't know the full price because that may go well beyond that $900,000. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, so, that's a good point. Well, what have you got? I mean, this is this is their second car in what seventeen years, is what it said. Pretty much. So, yeah. um, you know, this is a road car. It's a it's a big deal. Remember mm-hmm. the the McLaren F1 was a million dollar car, and mm-hmm, you'll see, mm-hmm. you know, the likes of Jay Leno driving this. Right. Uh, he's got one in his garage. Um, it's the one where you sit in the center of the vehicle, and you have two passengers on either side, which I think is. Insane. Oh, I remember. Cool. I have Very a picture cool. of that. Um, so, it, what have you got about the new one? Okay, so here here we go. Uh, the MP4 12C has a 3.8 liter V8. 3.8 liter. Uh huh. What? That's the local. That's like the stat, man. Oh, okay. That's, that's what. Uh, that's it's what we're getting from gotta, the horse's mouth. Got to be a small, powerful engine. Yeah. Uh, six. Uh, <clears throat> it's. Uh, McLaren, their own in-house design, 600 horsepower, 442 pound-feet of torque. Whoa. Uh, 369 of that comes from 2,000 RPM to 6,800 RPM. That's pretty high revving. Yeah. Now, that's, uh, wow, 3.8 liter, 600 what? Uh, 3.8 liter, 600 horsepower. Wow. And uh, so... They've got a, check this out. I thought you would like this. A zero to 125 mile per hour time under 10 seconds. Whoa. Very nice. So, you know, this thing has to be like a box of feathers. It can't weigh very much. That's unbelievable. That's a, that's, that's incredible. Uh, top, top speed, uh, just all they know is in excess of 200. Because this is, you know, when, when I'm saying that's incredible, I know other cars will go zero to 100 to zero faster, sure. but you know what? This is a pretty big car. Yes. I, I've seen photos of this. I mean, now it's low, it's uh-huh. wide, and it's long. It's a big car. Yeah, it's low slung, but 125 miles an hour to zero miles an hour, under five seconds. Oh, my gosh. That would have to feel like your face is pulling off. You have to have one of those, uh, one, one of the racing belts. Oh, sure, the five-point harness yeah, or something, the, yeah. the submarine belt. So, the, yeah, they, at this point, and this is some of the 
newer uh, announcements here. They claim to have received more than 1,600 intentions to purchase. Oh, that's far more than, uh, than, than, I, than than I they were. Here. No, no, then they, this is building up and we have to be careful about the way intention to purchase mm-hmm. is, you know, cause we have to also remember not to say anything bad, but we do have to remember this is the company saying it. Okay. And we've done a lot of, we've done a lot of shows with companies making announcements. Sure. And, uh, but you know what? A new yeah. McLaren would, uh, would draw some interest. It would, uh, it would, you know, ignite some fires, I think, in people that, you know, are collectors and people mm-hmm. that, you know, remember the original, uh, McLaren, the F1. Yeah. And, uh, and say, yeah, I think I want to get in on that ground level. And here's the thing I wanted to end on. And no, no this is all I've got. This is okay, the last thing. Okay. Me too. McLaren, <laughs> McLaren is, uh, apparently developing two more road cars. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I didn't know that. So, well, I don't know anything about them yet. Great. But we'll we'll have to check in. So I guess uh, this is us wrapping it up. Then. Any chance, Ben, that those are in like the fifteen to twenty thousand dollar range? Oh gosh, I'm hoping. I'm hoping the guys from uh, Tata <laughs> Nano Car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, sure, I'm sure it's going to be right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they make one that's nine hundred thousand uh-huh. plus, and then uh, the other one is twenty thousand. Yeah, it's a kit car though. Yeah, sure. It comes with just the hubcaps. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that that would be about all you'd get, I think. Well, guys, I know we jumped around a lot here, but uh, we're trying to give you some highlights of a really long, fascinating story in the history of racing and automotives in general. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we've enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, this guy, he's only 32 years old, and to accomplish mm-hmm. all of that by the time you're 32, uh, that he was 32 in 1970 when he passed away. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, just an, a remarkable career, and uh, and what a legacy. Yes. What a legacy. A true prodigy. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you have been listening to us do this podcast, you were wondering why we haven't covered uh, your favorite pioneer of the automotive uh, era or age or industry, then now's the time to speak up. Hit us up at Facebook. Find us on Twitter. You can also check out our website for more information. Uh, We have some pretty neat automotive articles there. And if you want to tell us who we should cover in an upcoming episode, Please send us an email at carstuff at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.